Yeah, Aaron Donald is going to eat the Eagles offensive line like a young child eats a single Cheerio, just scoops it up with a whole uncoordinated hand and crams it in his mouth. Yeah, if that Cheerio was filled with 340 pounds of useless lard, that is Jason Peters. And welcome to 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Brett Fortnum with Joe Shell and Kevin O'Keefe. We are short and idiot this week uh, as Matt is going off into the real world and doing real world things. Uh, so congrats, Matt. Boo. We have a lot to talk about um, after the uh, Syracuse University football team allegedly played a game this past weekend and will hopefully do something that looks more like playing a game this weekend. So let's just start start with the ugly. What is what are everyone's thoughts on the UNC game? The offensive line is as bad as you could have been afraid it was going to be. I was not optimistic going in, but it was even worse than I thought. Um, surprisingly, uh, the fullback slash tight end starting at left guard, Chris Elmore, actually played really well. Um, He was a little jittery to start, but he kind of held his own. All the pressure came from the middle with veteran center Carlos Vettorello getting bullied by Raymond Vohasek, who we better hope that Vohasek is an all-ACC defensive tackle because if he's not, we're in for a long year of Vettorello just getting beat up up the middle. It pulverized the passing game because there was pressure coming from the center of the pocket immediately. It ended the run game before it could even get off the ground. It was terrible all around. Yeah, and and on the offensive side of the – or rather for for their offense, uh, I think we talked about last week that one of the keys was going to be to make them run the ball and then stop the run, and we did not do that. They just ran wild way too often, and especially in the second half, we just couldn't contain it. I mean – I, I was, I felt like in the first half we kept it bottled up, um, at least to to a point, and we got a little bit of pressure on Howell, and you know things were looking pretty good. And, and I'd give the defense a, I'd give them a decent grade for the for the day overall. But but particularly in the first half, I was optimistic. Uh, I was just a little disappointed that the the defense uh, kind of you know gave way in the second half uh, as far as the run goes, and and, and generally. You know, Zach Howell could have put up a whole lot more than he did. Sam Howell. Um, but uh, Sam Howell, the uh, the Poindexter police points out. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, overall, just kind of a disaster on offense. Uh, we just didn't put any points up, even when we did get the ball in the red zone after that, whatever, it was a punt, you know, a, a muffed punter or whatever it was that we got the ball inside the 30. Um you know, I was optimistic that we could put seven up and then we settled for a field goal and we missed a 22 yarder. And it was just kind of a disaster on, on all fronts uh, from the offensive side of the ball. Well, and I want to give the defense a, a little credit. I mean, I, I know it looked like they gave way in the second, but I, it, it's tough to blame them. They were, oh, yeah. the yeah. offense left them out to dry. They were exhausted. There were, I'm, I'm looking here, it looks like three, Four straight three and outs. So the defense had no time to rest. They're always on the field. And the UNC is a high-powered offense. They're expected to be one of the better offenses 
in the ACC, and the defense did a great job of containing them in the first. And it looked, you know, they they were bending a little bit in the second, and all of a sudden they couldn't get off the field. And that's I, you you cannot expect any defense to be able to perform in that situation. Tommy's stats were pretty awful, but I mean the the offensive line was obviously the problem there. Um, Thirteen for thirty one is not something you ever want to see your quarterback put up. And I'd say about a quarter of those were either swing passes or bubble screens. He wasn't really getting the ball down the field. He didn't really have time. I thought that he he looked good rushing for the most part. Um, Obviously, seven sacks, he wasn't rushing quite as much as maybe we would have liked. But I think with the offensive line the way it is, we're going to need to see um, a little bit more play action, some more RPOs, and, you know, no drop passes. What worries me though, is we're talking about the same weaknesses we had last year, offensive line and possibly quarterback play. And whenever you see the same weaknesses from year to year, I start to look at the coaching staff and I had this whole optimistic rant last week about trusting in Dino. Um, But I mean, do you guys have any type of pause if we're seeing an offensive line that is supposedly, you know, if it's returning the same guys, shouldn't we be seeing improvement? Same thing with uh, DeVito. I mean, granted, he wasn't as bad as, you know, say the Maryland game last year, but that's a pretty low bar. But at the same time, he didn't really flash any any greatness. Yeah. Well, it was also a, it was a conservative strategy. Um, you didn't. How many times did Tommy throw the ball downfield? You know, a few. Uh, and and you're right on, on the a couple of those. He really overthrew. And you know, I, I would say that it's a, a big improvement over some of the games that he blew up last year. And and by big improvement, I mean he didn't throw any costly picks. You know, he didn't. He didn't turn the ball over because we had such a conservative strategy. Uh, when you're playing a team like UNC, I think you have to have somewhat of a strategy that 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 keeps, you know, the whole. You 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 look out to the to the first down marker and not much further than that. Uh, I thought Taj Harris did a a good job, like showing off some moves. But I think Joe made the point on Saturday. Yeah, is I think he got a little flashy. And I think in the future that could that could cause some turnovers. Um, but generally, I'd give I'd give Tommy credit for for taking care of the ball, throwing it away when he was supposed to throw it away, and and actually dealing with pressure. I mean, not exceptionally well, but better than he did last year. So I'd I'd say it's some improvement at least from the limited sample size that we have. So here's where I fall with these things. Obviously, it's no secret that I'm a pretty big uh, Devito defender. First of all, the playbook was certainly not opened up in week one of a pandemic-shortened season, uh, so it was a very conservative approach. But I don't think that was exclusively due to the play calling. I think some of that is we're finding that Tommy's been afraid to take any risks or any shots downfield. He's not making the throws we saw him make when he came in to spell Dungy a couple of years ago. DeVito was making NFL quality throws. I know that was a very different team with a much better offensive line, but he's not taking any risks downfield. He's not making any 
attempts at any challenging throws. So I'm kind of hot and cold with Tommy's performance from last week. Obviously, Sherrod Johnson had the ball go right through his arms in the end zone on what was a beautiful pass from Tommy. That's inexcusable. There were a couple plays down the sideline where Tommy put the ball in a good window for the receiver, who was the only one who could make a play on the ball, and it was out of bounds a handful of times. And I think we saw that a lot last year, too. So whether that's on Tommy, probably sometimes it is. Whether it's on the receiver running a poor route, it's probably that half the time, too. Um, it was very up and down. And we saw Tommy on the uh, a different page from Taj Harris a couple of times where the receiver ran a different route than what Tommy was looking for. And again, that, that could go to be uh, put the blame on either player. Um, but the Brett's kind of been saying it all along. Tommy's got to make quicker and better decisions. And he really does. The excuses are running out and I'm not blaming him for a lot of this. Obviously a lot of this is out of his control, but he's, he's, he's still missing receivers when he does have a chance. What I would like to see happen is in situations where we are keeping a running back in the backfield to pass block, they're very bad at pass blocking as it is, and it doesn't really buy any more time. I'd rather see that running back out as a dump-off option for Tommy so we could at least make an attempt at a play. We didn't see the tight ends at all, and we talked about how excited we were to, we were to see our tight ends in this game. I think they need to get worked into the the offense a little better than they were this week. But again, it could come down to Tommy's not going through his progressions fast enough. And so he's not going to find his third end, who's his third option. Who's a tight end in the flat. Like he, he just might not have the time, might not be going through his reads quickly enough. Well, he needs to get out of the pocket faster. He just wasn't getting to the sideline. He, he was just kind of getting swallowed up and sometimes he'd throw the ball away. Sometimes he was, I mean, to me looked like he was, like an inch out of the side of the tackle box, which could present problems if you got a stingy ref. I mean, I, I just didn't feel like he was getting out of the pocket quickly enough. And, and when you when you don't do that, you, your options kind of shrink really quickly, especially when you have so many injuries on the line. So, he was hot and cold. Sometimes he was good at stepping up and he'd you know make a little run, get a few yards. Sometimes he'd step up and he'd get flattened. Sometimes he would just be too indecisive sure. and he'd get flattened. What what bothered me and this is where I don't blame Tommy, is he was really good at rolling out to the right to buy time with his eyes downfield. No one could get open. So he had nowhere to go, and that's where you saw him throwing the ball away. That's where he needs to use his legs and, and drive upfield so that he can keep the defense and the linebackers honest so that they are, aren't cheating back to recover, to, to go after the receivers. Rather, they're cheating up uh, to be afraid that he's – He's going to cross the line of scrimmage, which he just didn't they, really They had do a anything. spy on him. In a lot of those situations, they had a spy on him. Yeah. Um, so he was wise to roll out. But you just would like to think that when a play goes on that long, someone can get open. Is there any concern that our players are not developing as fast as they should, which is, I think, speaking to the coaching staff, or that possibly we're just recruiting guys who are not skilled enough? I mean, we're year five now. It's and obviously Dino is good through at least next year, but what when do we start getting nervous that maybe maybe he's not the guy? I, th- I think we've seen enough players 
get better during Dino's tenure where I, I don't know that this is the year to try to come to that conclusion. Most years we see our skilled players get better and better every year. Mo Neal got better every year. Um, he only struggled last year again when there was no functional offensive line. Um, every year there's a receiver who makes the leap from being a role player or a non-factor on offense to a 1000 yard receiver. I don't know that this is a fair year to try to make deductions like that just because there really wasn't much of a camp. There wasn't much of a scrimmage. That was the other thing that I wanted to point out was this is really the first time Tommy's playing live football this year. Um, so he's kind of knocking off the rust on the fly when normally you have a more extended spring practice and then you have scrimmages in the fall and then you start off the season playing a scrub team and, and we're missing all that. Um, and Brett, earlier you asked about whether a lack of development on the O-line is an issue. It's hard to say no to that, although I would like to point out it's not the cast of players we are anticipating. There's injury, there's failed transfer waivers. So really the, the offensive line we were expecting on paper is not what we're getting, which is why we're seeing roughly the same results as last year. It's surprising to see the offensive line coach keeping his job, but from what I understand, he has a really long track record and is really well-respected, and I think that's saving his job right now. And our offensive line recruiting lately has been really good. So you're right, eventually these recruits need to start becoming good football players, but I'm not sure this is a good year to judge some of these things, but certainly we need to see some progress out of some of these offensive linemen. I would have liked to have seen more depth on the O-line coming into this year. And I know about some of the injuries and the failed transfer waiver, but it just, I mean, it just seems like there was too much hope going in and not enough contingency planning. Yeah. What what worries me is there are some like four-star kids who aren't even showing up on the, the two deep yet as sophomores and redshirt sophomores. So I don't know what that means. Um, but you have Chris Blake, who's not eligible. We were hoping he'd be eligible. You have Dakota Davis, who is probably going to start at left guard, who's injured. Last year, you had the kid who transferred in from uh, junior college, who was a starting offensive lineman, and he, and he bolted after some early season struggles. So I think part of that's the depth issue. But but you're right. There's, there's some talented recruits um, buried on the depth chart somewhere, and as to why they're not developing at a, a more beneficial pace. Can you blame Dino? I'm sure you can. He's the head coach. You can always blame him. Can you blame the position coach? Yeah. I'm I'm honestly surprised that he's not catching more of the blame for this. I don't, I don't think that it's time to apportion blame or, or do any of that stuff. Like that, this is big picture stuff. I mean, you know, Week one, and I think you already said it, Joe, week one of a pandemic season is not really the time to reflect on on whether the future is – it should include Dino Babers or not. Um, I, I think that we had pretty much every possible uh, thing going against us going into this game that it was not a reasonable expectation to even – just a, I, I never thought we were going to win that game. I thought that we'd do a little bit more on offense. I, I was impressed that our defense – you know, created some turnovers and gave our offense some opportunities to to put points on the board. And, and you know, like you could you could start pointing fingers. OK, this guy dropped a pass. OK, this guy missed a field goal. But 
a lot of that, I think, chalks up, I chalk it up to week one jitters, week one non-cohesion, right? So like the gears seem to be working, but not all together. And I think that is, is what you lose when you haven't had a sustained amount of practice time before the season. You haven't, you never had a spring game. You haven't had, you haven't been practicing with pads for, for as much as you would normally have been, been practicing. So I just don't think they got enough prep and, uh, you know, and I think that may also explain why we we called a, and and Tommy threw a relatively conservative game because when you don't have enough time to prep, you you don't have time to to practice with those receivers, go through your progressions and all that stuff. So I, I would just say maybe we have this conversation again uh, closer to the end of the season, whenever that might be. I and mean, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to get the full season in, but uh, maybe like five six games in, we probably have a better indication of 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 uh of where we're headed as a you know big picture kind of thing well i i don't want to say blame so much because I, I'm, I'm not trying to blame dino for for that game but i also think that you know I'm, I'm i'm talking more about when do we have to start to worry that we're not headed in the right direction and my i'm not basing this off just the unc game i'm basing it off the unc game in addition to a year last year that was well, well, well below expectations, and you know, I I would have hoped to have been building on on that ten win season a little bit more, you know, and and that's not to expect a ten and then eleven win season, like ten maybe then an eight win season, but like at least consistently getting to the bowl games, and it just it doesn't look like we're headed in that direction. It looks like we're headed for you know another sub five hundred season, which would make four out of five sub five hundred seasons under under Dino. I wouldn't say that. I really, I wouldn't say that we're more likely to have a sub 500 season than we were seven days ago. We might finish five, uh, better than 500. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that last game is a big, big win, like a you know a, a big hump that we go over. So right. So assuming we play Liberty, we go six and five. That is a different season to me than like a five and six or a four and seven. That's of kind of like we're staying relevant. We're competing for postseason eligibility, and that sets us up for for you know much better things going forward. I I, I had one thing I wanted to add to this conversation, and that's that every time this conversation comes up about is Dino the guy? Is it time for a change? My first thought is always, who are you going to find that's better? And are they going to be better enough to make it worth it to go through a transition period again and turn the whole program over again? I think a lot of Syracuse fans have a hard time kind of putting into perspective who we are, where we are, and what kind of job and how desirable our job is. Yeah. Plus, point. we can't we can't fire him if we wanted to. I mean, I, I suppose we could. We'd have to buy him out. No, no, no. no. Like we're not talking about. He he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, until after 2021 at the, at the very earliest. So I'd give, give him a decade. Like it's firing it, Dino yeah. or anything like that. I, yeah. Just, oh, when, when do we start to wonder? Yeah. I just, I think it's so hard to build something for us. I mean, give him 10 years, then I'll start getting antsy if it's not, you know, overall an upward trajectory. But I think even in those early losing seasons, we saw enough where we saw that, 10 win season building last year was obviously disappointing. And so far this year's not off to a good start, but 
I just think we're we're not a destination program. It's it's tough to build something where we are, and yeah. with what our resources are. So I, I'm okay with someone having a long leash. I'm not gonna start barking after five years that we haven't gone to a bowl game every year. Like I I know I'm probably in the minority list. I give him ten years and see what he's built. I just think we've had too much turnover over the years to try to yeah. revamp the program again in the next few years. I'm right there with you. And uh, I think Dino is just good for the program as a leader, you know, outside of what happens on the field. I think he showed himself a really good off the field leader and a guy who can coalesce a locker room pretty well, speaks well. You know, he's a guy that I'm excited about. Um, And what's the opportunity, you know, like, so so unless Mike Hopkins wants to coach football, right. Like I, I just don't see who we could get to to come and coach the football program better than than what he's doing now. I'll only come back if I can coach all of the teams. Right, we'll, we'll bring we'll bring Hopkins back uh, if, if as the the basketball and football coach. So just just as an added bonus, I don't I don't care. I'd I'd, I'd do whatever. Roll out the welcome wagon for him. But uh, unless that you know if that doesn't happen, which you know. Whatever. Uh, I, I think that Dino deserves a long leash. You know, I think you got it right, Joe. Ten years, then we see where we are after his contract is up because he's got another, you know, five or four or five years or whatever on that contract. Um, if Rutgers can give Greg Schiano another job, then Dino can have ten years. Well, I guess I'm not quite as patient. Like I'm, I'm again, I'm not looking for any immediate changes, but I think ten years might be a bit much. We were talking 10 years from now or 10 years total? Total. Yeah, I think that's so reasonable. I think you look at where Dino's at after 10 seasons. If he's got, you know, a handful of bowl wins, he's got five, six bowl appearances, uh, maybe competes for a conference championship, you know, that's – and I think we've, we've we've technically done that once. We were, we were um, in the mix. We were in the yeah. mix. Um, obviously it wasn't all that close to actually happening, but we were in the mix. I would, I would would say that the measure of success for Dino after his 10 year, 10th year is up. So, you know, 2026 or whatever year, 2025, whatever year that is, uh, at the end of that season, if we have competed for a conference title at a high level, um, at least a few of those years, I'll be very happy. I don't think oh, that's going to happen. Too. I would be thrilled. I, I, I will too. But I, mean, I think we've already done that once. Such a long time. We, like, you're you're saying you go four and seven for six straight seasons, and you wouldn't think about getting rid of them until then. Uh, I mean, four and seven. I mean, so he went four and seven last year. So you're saying he goes four and seven next five years? I'm, I'm I'm just saying, like, I think 10 years is too long of a leash. I think that it it's important to assess where you, the direction of your program every single year. Yeah, I don't I mean, think obviously I don't depends think on how bad, bad it I don't gets. think you should get rid of them after this year, even if they don't win a game. They like Dino is should be the head coach going into the 2021 season. But yeah. I think we need to see consistent growth in the program. Yeah. And if we're not seeing consistent growth in the program, Next year, I think it's yeah. time to be nervous. That's yeah. fair. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying I'm probably more patient than most other fans and also probably than the people who would make the decision to start looking for a no coach wouldn't be as 
patient as I would be. We're going to get uh, Jadavian Howard and Abdul Adams back next year. Um, they, maybe, they don't maybe. need the eligibility. If they don't, they might not come back. I mean, that's they, the they, yeah, that's uh-huh. the, for right now. They're not a part of the team. I don't think they're worth discussing. Right, but I mean, you, you're looking at something. I don't know. I'm just. I'm trying to make the case that you really, you really got screwed by them too. I mean, like, I'm not saying they they obviously made the right decision for themselves, but that just stinks as a program, and it's kind of hard to judge, you know, the the entire football program on a game where we were playing a team that's probably soon going to be in the top ten. Um, although, although I don't know what happens, what happens? Do they just inject the big 10 teams back in there? One- no, if you want to see growth in the program, they incorrectly listed Chris Elmore 20 pounds and five inches larger than he actually is. That's growth. That's major growth in the program. That's HGH growth right there. So going forward, what do we think of the, the Pittsburgh game this week? Uh, yeah, so we're playing Pittsburgh uh, Panthers, who uh, if history shows, if, if history is any indication, it's going to be a, you know, a slugfest. It's not going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, there's going to be a lot of penalties. Um, there's going to be mud. It's going to be at Heinz Field. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to put some points on the board. Um, we need to figure out the offensive line. We need to run a better screen game. Um, right now it's a 21 and a half point spread. I think it's been hovering around there. Um, I, I think, uh, last week, I don't think you take last week into consideration for Pitt. They dismantled Austin P, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think you take anything away from that. I think if that we played Austin P, um, <laughs> we would have had a great week one as well. Uh, we decided to play the number 12 team instead. Uh, so, I don't know. I think that we will learn more from this game than we did from last game because the last game, there was no way we were going to find a way to win that game. I think this game is winnable. The only thing I really, really don't like about it is that it's on the road and that we have not had enough time to coalesce. Um, I'm I'm optimistic. I think we, we could make it a game. Um, if, If you're asking me what the, what the final score is like last week, I'll say 30, to 27 i think we lose narrowly um and uh we put some points on the board you know uh, uh whoever it was that dropped the the touchdown in the end zone he Sherrod makes that johnson catch. he makes um, that catch and, all right and and we make we make the 22 freaking yard field goal uh right before the half that frustrated the hell out of me I, I think the most important thing that kevin said is that this game is at heinz field we don't win there like ever not that we particularly play well against Pitt no matter where the game is, but especially at Heinz Field, we do not play well. I don't think it will be nearly as high scoring of a game as, as Kevin's saying. I think you're going to see this be an ugly game, really low scoring. I could see it going into halftime tied at three or something stupid like that. Pitt's defense is probably better than North Carolina's by a decent margin. And their offense is probably not as good as North Carolina's by a decent margin, which doesn't really help us that much. My hope is that by playing against a less skilled offense, the defense performs even better and are able to put some points directly on the board for the offense and maybe give them very favorable field position a time or two more than last week. But They did a pretty good job of that as it was. 
Um, maybe you get an Andre Cisco pick six. Maybe you get a Josh Black fumble six, something like that. Get, get some defensive scoring. Um, it, it's not boding well for our offensive line that the, the pit defensive line is more, more fearsome than North Carolina's. Pitt's a good defense. Um, it's going to be hard. Hopefully we learned a lot and made the proper adjustments to at least put together a functional offense, even while playing a better defense. So I'm going to say the game goes into halftime tied at three. And then I'm going to be optimistic and say that we win the game. 17. Now let's say 20 to 17 on a late Andre Schmidt field goal. And Andre Cisco has a pick six in there somewhere. And I'll take Kevin's Tommy DeVito touchdown to the corner to Sherrod Johnson. That doesn't go through his arms this time. I like that. I like that redemption. See, I, what worries me is, Joe, I think you're right about Pitt's defense, but I think you might be underselling it. Pitt is supposedly has a fantastic defense, especially with that fearsome line and a bad Syracuse O-line, I don't know that we're going to be able to see the type of growth from the Syracuse offense that we would need to see to get anything that looks like a touchdown, um, except for garbage time. So, I mean, Andre Sisco might be the best offensive player Syracuse has, and it's not good if that's a defensive player. So I'm, I hope it's an ugly game because Syracuse might be able to hang in an ugly game. And I, I think, Joe, the, again, to be boring and agree with you, um, I think it will stay close in the first half, much like UNC. But I think uh, the defense is just going to – it's going to be a lot like the UNC game. The, the defense is going to get completely gassed, which isn't really their fault. And Pitt's going to pull away. Um, I, I do think there will be a garbage time touchdown in there somewhere. So I'm going to say 27-10 Pitt. Yeah, it, it could absolutely be a bloodbath as far as their D-line versus our O-line. I know it looked bad last week, but it could be even worse than that as far as having the center of the pocket being in Tommy DeVito's lap within a second and a half. It could it could happen on just about every play. But based on what I've seen over the last few years, Dino's pretty good at making some adjustments along the way, especially early in the season. So hopefully he knows... Uh, what what went wrong? Maybe you make a personnel change along the O line. Um, the the depth chart for week two hasn't indicated that, but Dino has also been known to make a change, not put it on the depth chart until after the game actually happened. So maybe you shuffle something on, or maybe we just need some more diverse play calling and put Tommy in a, a better position to be successful. But yeah, it could it could be bad. It could be ugly. Um, but I'm. I'm hopeful that they make some sort of adjustment to put us in a better spot. And as much as we all want Syracuse to be the center of the football universe, it it is not, especially this week. And I know Kevin is absolutely dying to talk about what's going on with the Big Ten. But, I mean, I don't know. Should we talk about it? I can't really decide. Should we talk about the Big Ten? Bum, Do we bum, want bum, to talk about bum, the Big Ten? Big Ten podcast. All right, we're a Big Ten, we're a Big Ten podcast right now. What are we going to do? What, what are we going to do, guys? How are we going to play? Who are we going to play? When are we going to play? Are we going to play? Well, I just 
wanted to make an observation about uh, how Brett thinks that being agreeable is synonymous with being boring. And that just describes, uh, it explains a lot of uh, why we have discussions that we have. Cause, cause the, on the flip side, it means that he is convinced that being disagreeable is interesting. Brett eats soup with a fork just to be a contrarian. What do you think of that, Brett? <laughs> that, that should I be think a, if our, you eat soup with a fork, you're a freaking idiot. That should be our first piece of apparel for our podcast. Brett eats soup with a fork on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's no, it. I, no, I, 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 <laughs> I would never eat soup with a fork. I, like, I'm... I, I'm not that weird. Brett and anyone who is fork. that weird. Like, Brett eats soup with a fork. Fork you, man. Fork and you. Yeah, and it's just like a like a like a, a cartoon of like Brett at his like kitchen table and he's just like slurping soup, but it's not coming <laughs> out. So he's like stabbing himself in the tongue with a fork. <laughs> all right, and there you have it. That's all anyway. we have about the Big Ten this week. I mean that, that that's probably the closest thing to an accurate description of the Big Ten we can come. Eating except it was an accurate description of me. Since, since it seems like I'm the only one interested in this subject, uh, the Big Ten is going to play football at the end of October. Um, I don't know if that means that there is going to be any sort of cohesive, like postseason game plan as far as bowls go, and if there's going to be a college football playoff. I guess that's sort of a wait and see thing. But if history shows at all, the Pac-12 is probably going to follow suit and play as well. Um, apparently, there's uh, some some controversy with the governor, where you know he was saying that uh, the, the governor of California, who was saying that uh, that that you know uh, Pac-12 football wasn't going to happen and is no is not allowable under state guidelines. Um, but now he's kind of softening his language, changing course, and and uh, and and sort of uh, leaving room to to for for the conference to be able to say that they are uh, allowed to play football um, under state guidelines. So if that happens, we'll have all five major conferences uh, playing. And the thing that makes me most mad will still be that Liberty's refusing to test its players, and we're still playing them. Uh, which I am going to mention every week until we cancel that game. And then I'm going to claim victory. Uh, but yeah, I'm like, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to have, to have all five, uh, you know, potentially conferences playing football and, and, and to have uh, something that, that resembles a normal season on our hands. That's, that's wrapped up, uh, you know, by the, you know, I guess early winter, I guess they'll have to extend it a little bit. Um, I don't know what the number of games. Uh, I don't know if they're planning on full, playing a full season with ten or eleven games, like the ACC and and SEC and Big Twelve have. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I'm excited. I, I really uh, I don't particularly like him as a football player, but um, I kind of felt for Justin Fields. You know, just not being able to play this year. I mean, he he is one of the guys who was out there among a lot of other players. But but I just think that. You know, if it's if, if you can make it safe, then you should play football. You should you should let the players do it, and and uh, and so it's 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 nice to see guys like him get to get to play out what's what's likely to be his last season um, as a college player. So yeah, why don't we why don't we transition over to what made Brett mad this week? 
not going to take this anymore. I, I think that what made Brett mad this week happened last night at the uh, at Wrigley Field um, because there was the first ever uh, delay of game uh, or, or postponement in baseball because of a drone flying over Wrigley Field when uh, Cleveland yep. and uh, Cleveland and the Cubs were were playing and uh, all the players were joking around you know, uh, standing behind the umpires for cover. Um, but, uh, yeah, Major League Baseball is investigating the incident, and, you know, that's that's the best I got. That actually happened to the Yankees like two weeks ago, too. This is from ABC7, because this is how I always do my What Made Brett Mads is that I just Google something. Too bad um, Trevor Bauer wasn't there to put his hand on it. Wednesday marked the first ever drone delay at a baseball. Oh, in Chicago. I didn't read it fully because mm. I did this one second before the segment. I know what made Brett mad this week. Kevin's reading comprehension. Uh, reading comprehension or skimming comprehension? Reading comprehension. Well, what's what do you got, Joe? You have anything better? I just did. Yeah. That yeah. was it. Joe's closer than you are. So what actually made me mad this week was I'm pretty sure that Rob Manfred is the worst commissioner in sports. Again, I I think I've touched on this before, which is shocking given the fact that Gary Bettman and Roger Goodell run major sports leagues and are not the worst. Because um, Manfred this week completely endorsed the playoff structure that they're using this year which I don't have an issue with expanding the playoffs this year in the manner in which they're doing it. But I would just point out that the Cleveland Indians are on an eight-game losing streak right now, which um, if, if you scale that out to 162-game season, is about a 22-game losing streak, and they're still going to make the playoffs. And I'm not particularly nervous about it. And to try and make that permanent, like you completely lose all meaning of divisional races. You completely... Okay. All right. Uh, I was just going to say um, that, uh, you know, I, I just I wish that the criteria were, were easier for us to guess what it might be because Rob Manfred, like not, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, I need, I need something more, you know, at least a chance so that I can guess the right thing. Just, just because Rob Manfred, you know, endorsed the playoff scheme. I mean, yeah, like this season's not ideal, right? Like the Nats, the Nats aren't going to make the playoffs, uh, and they are currently, I think, they have a higher winning percentage than they did at their rock bottom last year, where they won the World Series. So, I mean, I wasn't going to cut you off. I was just being an asshole. I agree. I I don't I don't like the thought of the expanded playoff format continuing beyond this season. Yeah, it's it's stupid, but I mean, hasn't it been stupid for many weeks? And with the commissioner's endorsement, I like it for I like it for this season. I just no Manfred was talking about like the future. Yeah, I like it for this season. I was very disappointed to hear him talking about it continuing. It, yeah, it would be killing divisional races forever. It would completely it it would make the regular season so meaningless. Like it's the regular season is not interesting right now. Also, no one wants to watch bad playoff baseball, and then you will be getting bad playoff baseball. Yeah. 
I think baseball, more than any other sport, has an elevation of itself once the playoffs hit. Oh, um, you need to watch some playoff hockey, man. I watch lots of playoff hockey. It's not it's not the same. It's it is so different. That's that's true. Uh I can't get into I can't get into playoff hockey until, you know, at least the finals. I can watch a divisional game, but that might just be because I like baseball better than hockey. But I think I think baseball has the bigger change from because I'm not saying that baseball is the only sport that has an elevation or that playoff baseball is better than playoff hockey to someone who likes both. I just think you have the biggest jump from where most baseball games can be pretty mundane for the most part during the regular season, where lately the postseason has been crazy. Um, it's it's such a, a change in the atmosphere and just the, the way the game is played and the intensity with which the game is played. Yeah, once the rosters expand, that's kind of when shit hits. Like, like it turns from a three intensity to a six intensity, and then it gets to a nine and a ten once you get to the actual playoffs. And, I mean, the strategy with playoff baseball is so different because you're not playing every single day except for this year. Um, and you have – look at the Nationals last year. Their whole playoff run was premised on – riding Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, um, and to a lesser extent, Hannibal Sanchez, as much as humanly possible. You can't do that this year, and you won't be able to do that if you kill off days, um, which you would have to do in expanded playoffs if you wanted to turn into the NBA and NHL and have your playoffs last four months. Or imagine a playoff game for the Nats last year where, you know, uh, Daniel Hudson and Sean Doodle are both unavailable. They never would have made it. I don't have to imagine it. All I all I have to do is remember. I think it was Game Four when freaking Fernando Rodney led up the most predictable <laughs> grand slam on the face of the planet. I've never shouted at a TV in public more than I did on that day. Roll the outro music. The end. So that's going to do it for this week of three idiots and a lawyer. If you have the 1990 lacrosse championship trophy. Please let us know that it's okay. We want to know that something worked out in COVID. For Kevin O'Keefe, Joe Shell, I'm Brett Fortnum. Have a great week, everybody. Yeah.